I want to apologize in advance. There will be no scripture reading up on the screen this afternoon. That is because I only half correctly filled in the liturgy sheet when I sent it off this past week. The scripture reading is not from Jeremiah 15, but from Jeremiah 31. And so, um, if you have your own Bible, that's wonderful. If you don't, you can um, adapt your skills from reading to listening. I'm going to read God's Word with you from Jeremiah 31, and I will read uh, through to verse 22, and uh, my focus for the message this afternoon are the verses 15 through 20, and I will alert you when we arrive at those verses. So Jeremiah 31, the Word of our God, at that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, And shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord. Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob. And raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping, they shall come, and with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path, in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. And here are the words that we're going to focus on, beginning at verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me 
And I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth, a woman and circles. Amen. Uh, This is the word of our God, and may he bless it in our hearing this uh, Sunday afternoon. Well, beloved in Christ, our Lord, as a general rule, I believe it's never a good idea to tell someone to stop crying. And that is because usually when we tell someone to stop crying, it's not for their benefit, but it is for our own benefit. And maybe it's just that we are uncomfortable with crying, and so we tell them to stop. Or maybe it is that we are frustrated with their crying because we don't understand why they're crying and in our frustration we just tell them to stop. Or maybe we are convinced that crying has never changed anything and so therefore we tell them to stop crying. But all of that is about us. It's not about the person who is crying. And maybe it's Time for us to get comfortable with other people's tears. Uh, Maybe it's time for us to seek to understand why they are crying, because I've discovered, and I'm sure you have, there's uh, seemingly always a reason uh, why someone is crying. Very few people cry for no good reason. Uh, Maybe it's uh, time for us to understand that crying is not about changing what has been and gone but crying is about expressing uh, the pain in our hearts. Crying is an emotionally healthy response to pain. And so as a general rule, it's not a good idea to tell people to stop crying. But there is, of course, for every rule, an exception to the rule. And there is an exception to the rule not to tell people to stop crying. And that exception unfolds uh, before our eyes this afternoon in the Word of God, Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 15. And in this passage of Holy Scripture, we meet a bereaved mother who is crying. We also meet a repentant son who is grieving. And we meet the Lord our God who says this in verse 16, keep your voice from Weeping and your eyes from tears. The Lord is telling these people, this bereaved mother and this repentant son, He's telling them to stop crying. And not because He's uncomfortable with their tears. God's very comfortable with the tears of His people. Not because He's frustrated and doesn't understand why they're crying. He understands why they're crying. 
Not because he thinks that crying will never change what has been and gone. He tells them to stop crying because in his great love, he has changed what has been and gone. He tells them to stop crying because he has removed from them the reason for their cry. So we're going to explore further this afternoon in this portion of Holy Scripture. The response of the Lord to the tears of a, a bereaved mother and a repentant son. And as we do so, our own hearts might be touched in such a way as to find ourselves crying as we see how much the Lord loves us. Well, I'm diving in with you to the book of Jeremiah, which is not particularly fair, um, but that's sometimes the nature of bringing in a guest pastor on a Sunday afternoon. So we'll set the table for a few moments in this book of Jeremiah. If you're not familiar with this book, um, it's a really long book. Um, it is in many ways a depressing book. Uh, it's a book that starts, and maybe you're familiar with how it starts, it starts with the Lord calling uh, Jeremiah as a young man to be his prophet. Time period is 6th century before Christ in the time leading up uh, to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the captivity of God's people, and they're taken off into the exile in Babylon. And as uh, God calls this young man, Jeremiah, in chapter 1, uh, Jeremiah does his best to uh, avoid the call. Uh, he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a, a youth. And the Lord rebukes him for saying that. And then the Lord uh, puts out his hand and he touches the mouth of Jeremiah, which is a signal to say, I'm going to uh, enable you to speak, but I'm also going to give you the words to speak. The Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now there's six uh, verbs there that the Lord um, attributes to the speaking of Jeremiah the prophet. So these words that Jeremiah is go are going to speak are words of the Lord and they're words that carry with them the very power to do the things that are being described. And so it is Jeremiah who's going to be able to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now of those six, four are negative. Okay, Pluck up, break down, destroy and overthrow are all negative. They're all pointing to the destructive power of the word of the Lord as he brings judgment upon his people. And I believe there's an imbalance uh, four verses two, and the last two are constructive words to build and to plant. And I believe there's an imbalance there because there's an imbalance, uh, as it were, in the word of the Lord that comes to Jeremiah the prophet. And so you can start with, with chapter two, and, and you can run pretty much to chapter 29, and it is all about the judgment of the Lord upon his people. And it is a judgment that is... Uh, deserved. And we see that in Jeremiah 15, which I know they probably had a slide for prepared, uh, but I will just highlight something from uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 15. 
Because there uh, is a question uh, that is asked by the Lord uh, of Jerusalem. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? Who is going to care about Jerusalem after Jerusalem has been destroyed? And it's a re- these are rhetorical questions and the answer is no one's going to care. And the Lord explains why no one's going to care. It's because Israel deserved her judgment. You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward. So I've stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I'm weary of relenting. God is a God who relents. And He has relented time and again in His history with His people Israel. And He uh, gets to the point where He's tired of relenting. And so He brings this judgment that is deserved upon His people. This judgment that is devastating for His people. And it is amid um, the aftermath of this complete devastation of the people of God that all the clans of Israel hear a voice of bitter lamentation and weeping. And the voice of bitter lamentation and weeping that they hear is the voice of a woman. It's the voice of a mom. And it is the voice of someone who died centuries earlier. It's the voice of Rachel, the wife of Jacob, the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. And this long-dead woman cannot rest in peace in her grave. So she rises up onto the heights and with a very loud voice she weeps and she expresses bitter lamentation. Everyone can hear her as she grieves out loud for her children. Her children who have been sent to pestilence and to famine and to sword and to captivity. She is weeping bitterly, says the Lord in our text this afternoon. Thus says the Lord, a a voice is heard in Ramah, which means the heights, lamentation, and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. The children of Rachel are no more, and she refuses to be comforted. And what you'll hear here is actually an echo from the Jacob-Joseph story. You know the story of Rachel's son, Joseph, and by the point in the story where we're landing for a moment, Rachel's already died because she died in childbirth with Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. But if you know the story of Rachel's son, Joseph, you know that at some point the brothers came and lied to Father Jacob and said, Joseph is no more. And the Bible says that all of his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Same language as Jeremiah 31 and Rachel. He refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. I'm going to mourn for the rest of my life until I see my son in the grave. Now, centuries later, It's the mother of Joseph 
who refuses to be comforted because her children are no more. The finality of God's devastating judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem and the land as a whole provokes this dead mother of Israel to rise up from the grave in lamentation and bitter weeping because she has been bereaved. And there is no comfort for this bereaved mother. As I thought about this mother, uh, bereft of her children, I, I thought about uh, the, the immigrant generation and uh, the many women from that generation who I've pastored over uh, the years. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that the women of that generation were not given to a lot of uh, displays of emotion in terms of crying, in terms of tears. Maybe it was just me, and they didn't want to cry in front of me, but, but I think it was more than just me. I think there was this sense that, you know, crying doesn't change anything. There's this sense that there's just kind of no point in doing this, it makes other people uncomfortable. Maybe it makes them uncomfortable. And yet, over the years, there's always one circumstance in which I have seen tears flow from these women. And it's the tears of mom. And it's the tears for a child who is no more. And sometimes... The tears of a child who's been no more for over 60 years. And yet it is the thought of that child that brings tears to their eyes. Even, even though maybe the decades have removed and muted the sound of their cries, there's no loud voice of weeping, there's no more bitter lamentation, yet there are still tears that spring uh, to these mothers' eyes. I thought of those mothers as I read about Rachel this past week. And we hear her voice. There's a loud lamentation expressing the bitterness, the hurt, the pain of her heart. And there are tears that are coming from her eyes. And we know why it is that finality of the judgment of God upon her children. Her children are no more. And that's a reference to the land. The land has been emptied of her children. They've either died because of pestilence or because of uh, famine or because of the sword or they've been taken off into captivity in other lands. And there's this mom who's been completely bereaved of her children. Who's crying cannot stop crying. And the Lord comes to her and He says, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. Maybe we should try that kind of language instead of stop crying. Keep your, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. And the reason the Lord says this to, to Rachel is because what has appeared to arrive with finality is not the end. 
of the star. It's, it's not the final thing that is experienced by the children of Rachel. The story of God's people in this book of Jeremiah does not end with God's devastating judgment upon his people. There is destructive power in the word of the Lord, and it is a dominant theme in the book of Jeremiah. I put my words in your mouth, to pluck up and to break down, to, to destroy and to overthrow. But there is also, as I said, constructive power in the word of the Lord placed into the mouth of Jeremiah. He has placed into his mouth words that speak of building and of planting. Indeed, it is just when things seem utterly hopeless because of the destruction of God's people that the word of the Lord enters into this moment and that word enters to build and that word enters to plant. And that word of building and that word of planting is as a hand of the Lord wiping away the tears from Rachel's cheeks. And so this is how he wipes her tears. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for explanation. There is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is a reward for your work. And here's, here's Rachel, and she's done a lot of work. If you're a mom, you know being a mom's a lot of work. Beginning from the moment that that child is conceived in your womb, and you carry that child for nine months, and then that child comes forth, and that's a lot of work, and, and then you have to raise them. And that's a lot of work. And as Rachel sees that her children are no more, she's like, that was a waste. They're all gone. I mean, all that work, it, it was for nothing. And the Lord says it wasn't for nothing. There's a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. And not only did she think it was all a waste, she then looks at her future. And she says, I don't, I don't have a future. You have to understand that particularly in ancient times, a woman's future was tied up with her children. She has no children, and she says, I have no future. And the Lord says, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, because there is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. Rachel, you need to stop crying, because I am about to change what has been and gone. Things are about to change for you and things are about to change for your children. And they're going to change because even as the word of the Lord went forth with destructive power to, to, to pluck up and, and, and to break down and to overthrow and to destroy, even as that word of the Lord was going forth and accomplishing, his, accomplishing these things, he never stopped loving his people. Jeremiah 31. Verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you. And you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards and so on. Again, again, again. What, what appeared to, to be the end was not the end because there is an again. Again. 
And there's an again, says the Lord, because I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I am faithful to you. And therefore, I'm going to build. But if you would read the book of Jeremiah, and frankly, if you read the Old Testament, you're going to ask yourself the question, well, how, how can God build something that's going to last? How can God build something that's not going to end seemingly each and every time with this destruction? Well, the answer is he can only build that at a great cost to himself. He can only build that at the cost of his dear son. It's going to cost God his darling child and I'll explain that in a moment. It's going to cost God his darling child. God has to be bereaved of his one and only son so that what he builds will last forever. You see, the son has to be plucked up to break this cycle of destruction once and for all. The son has to be plucked up. The sun has to be overthrown. The sun has to be destroyed. And therefore, when it comes to this sun, we must approach him with hearts that are repentant as we recognize that the destruction of the sun was supposed to have been our destruction. The overthrow of the sun was supposed to have been our overthrow. The breaking down of the sun was supposed to have been our breaking down. It's our sins that destroyed him in order that we might be built up again. And so we must come to our God with repentant hearts. That's the good news of the gospel. That as we come to our God with repentant hearts, then He says, I love you. And He says, I forgive you. This good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is the good news that stops the tears of a bereaved mother, but not just the tears of a bereaved mother, but also the tears of a repentant son. And the two are connected. A mother's hope is connected to a son's repentance. Because as the Lord here in our text is talking to mom, he says to her, I have heard Ephraim grieving. I have heard Ephraim grieving. Now you may or may not know Ephraim. Historically speaking, he's Rachel's grandson. Ephraim's one of the sons of Joseph. But now here and often in the scriptures, Ephraim comes to represent all of Rachel's children, comes to represent the people of God, the clans of Israel. And as God is talking to Rachel, he says, I have heard Ephraim grieving. And it begs the question, what is Ephraim grieving? And as we read his words that express his grief, we recognize that he is grieving his sin against his God. 
He knows that what has happened to him is a result of his sin. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Ephraim recognizes his destruction as a result of his sin and the Lord's discipline against his sin. And he comes uh, to the realization of the depths of his sin. And as he comes to the realization of the depths of his sin, he is grieving for his sin. And he weeps with heartfelt sorrow because he looks back and he sees a misspent youth. He ran all over the place like an untrained calf that doesn't want to submit to the farmer's yoke. As a young man, he wandered away from the Lord. See, Ephraim's a prodigal. He's a prodigal who one day wakes up in the land of the enemy and realizes what he did to get there. And not only did he realize what he did to get there, and it grieves him to the depths of his soul, but he also recognizes it was far better in his father's house. And he is filled with shame. We hear, his, we hear his confession of shame. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. So here we have a prodigal son, Ephraim. Wakes up in the land of the enemy. He's filled with grief. He's filled with shame. He's filled with a sense of disgrace about how he had lived his life to that point. And the question that is on his mind is the question of every prodigal who wakes up and realizes what they've done. And the question is, can I go home? And if I go home, will my father welcome me? Maybe you've asked those questions at some point in your life. Maybe those are questions that are on your heart even as you sit here this afternoon. Can I go home? And if I go home, will my father welcome me? There are tears in your eyes, and there are tears of heartfelt sorrow. There are the grief of a repentant son, a repentant daughter. Grief on account of sin, and the question, can I go home? Will father welcome me? Listen to father. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? Now you hear those questions. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? And you, you go, well, it, there seems to be a measure of doubt here. In the mind of the Lord. The Lord's asking, is he? Maybe he's not. But the doubt is the doubt that we bring to the question. Because there's no doubt in the Lord who asks the question. Because it's a rhetorical question. That question to which the one who asks the question is not expecting an answer because he's not seeking information that he does not already know. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is Ephraim my darling child? Of course he is. Absolutely he is. Ephraim is my darling child. Do you think that because I punished you, O Ephraim, I stopped loving you? Do you think that because I spoke words of judgment against you that I stopped loving you? 
For as often as I spoke against him, says the Lord, I do remember him still. The Lord spoke often against Ephraim. He says, for as often as I spoke against him, I do remember him still. And not just, I remember I have a son, but I'll never forsake my son. And then comes this beautiful word, therefore. Therefore, says the Lord, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him. I want to tell you something about that word heart. Because it's not the normal word for heart. And in this translation that I have up here, this edition, uh, there's a little footnote to that word. And at the bottom of the page it says bowels. I'm not a big fan of that particular uh, footnote. Not because it's wrong, but because I think there's a better word. And the word is guts. Now, when I was a kid, uh, if we didn't like someone, we would say, I can't stand your guts. Or we would say, I hate your guts. I don't know if kids still say that to each other. I know you're going to be taught not to say that. And I I would affirm whatever your parents teach you about not hating people's guts. But we're going to talk about guts for a minute. Why, 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 over the course of human history, have people in all parts of the world and in all kinds of different languages felt they needed to talk about their innermost part of their being, their, their bowels or their guts? Why? Because we felt when we wanted to talk about that place of greatest passion and, and greatest feeling, we, we felt that we had to go deep inside and, and say, From this place, I love. And then also on the other side, when we wanted to hurt you in your deepest place, we would say, I hate your guts. Ephraim, my dear son, my darling child, my guts yearn for him. It is the same word that the Gospels will use of the Lord Jesus Christ as it describes his response to the people of Israel in moments when they are obviously in distress. There's there's times in the Gospels where Jesus looks at the crowds and he sees people like sheep without a shepherd. He sees people who who are, are physically hungry. They've been emotionally and spiritually abused. And the Scripture says he had compassion on them. There's never a footnote there. But what it literally says each time is his guts yearned for them. That's the heart of God the Father revealed in Jeremiah chapter 31. That's the heart of God the Father revealed in Jesus Christ, His only beloved Son. That's the heart of God the Father that leads Him to say to a repentant Son, I will surely have mercy on Him. Not I will have mercy on Him, but I will surely have mercy on Him. On him. Keep your voice 
from weeping and your eyes from tears. For I will surely have mercy on you for the sake of my dear son, Jesus Christ. Christ who says to all who are weary, come to me, for I'm gentle in heart. Christ who says to all who are bowed down with grief, come to me, for I'm lowly in heart. Christ who says, come to me, and I'll wipe away the tears from your eyes. And do not doubt that Christ will do this for you. Do not doubt that the Father will welcome you. Are you not also his dear son? Are you not also his darling daughter? Yes, you are. And does not his heart also yearn for you? And yes, it does. His heart yearns for you. And so he will show you mercy again and again and again. Because he is the God who builds again and again and again. He is the God who will take your tears of sorrow and in his mercy turn them into tears of joy. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for revealing your everlasting love to us in the scriptures this afternoon, your everlasting love in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to be destroyed for our sake. That you would have your own Father, your eternal Father, speak against you so that he would always remember us. We pray that if there be any here who are wandering, any here who are in the land of the enemy, that they would wake up and be grieved by the place they're in and what they've done to get there and make their way home. Your loving arms, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.